guess that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B R B L A Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Bondo. Welcome back to Most Certainly True. We have another opportunity to enjoy a book of the Bible in our Bible reading challenge. And if you were wondering, um, I was not paid for that promotional advertisement for one call. That's all Gruber Law Offices. But um, we got these little um, buttons yesterday at a downtown lunch appreciation thing. And so it was just funny that they recorded his voice and and used it. But um, I should explain how this is like a first for us as pastors. We're podcasting. Um, Three of us are here today. So Pastor Brian Hockman, say hello. Hello. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, how are you? (laughs) I'm excellent. Pastor Bondo, how are you today? (laughs) Thank you. I'm good. And Pastor Aaron Strong. Hey, glad to be here. So we're all here and we got these little buttons of one call, that's all, so we can play it as often and as uh, frequently as possible. I think the more points, you know, the more times we play it, the more points you get. That sounds like a challenge. I forgot mine at home, guys. You didn't Uh bring yours? I took it home and I forgot it. If you, like, raise your pinky finger, we can play it for you. Like, cue the... the, Will that work? Will it matter which microphone it goes into? (laughs) Yours works. Pastor Strong and I will share. (laughs) We'll share. (laughs) You guys will share. (laughs) There you go. If you are still listening by the end of this podcast today with as annoying as, annoying as you're probably going to be with that, there's probably a higher place in heaven for you. The, fa- so. the faithful listeners will stick it out. That's it good. just dawned on me that he's a lawyer mm. and using his copyrighted material might, might be dangerous. Do we need to start over and delete the podcast up until this point? Do you think David Gruber is listening? <laughs> that would be spectacular. This, I would like to know, so I think we should leave it in there. Is this I, think, I think game? this is a good experiment. Let's find out if David Gruber and is would this subscribing. Be a, would this be a valid outreach um, uh, outreach uh, way of going about? You know, because we could get sued, and that could be big news in Milwaukee, and we could be like, "We're the church," and that's come and great publicity. At, yeah. Any publicity is good publicity. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so I think we leave it in, yeah. or we send him a copy of the podcast, and he absolutely loves it, and he comes and be as a guest sometime. Or I think as long as you don't say this podcast was brought to you by one call, that's all. <laughs> You're probably good. okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should definitely not say that. <laughs> we shouldn't say that at all out loud. It's <laughs> brought to you by <laughs> because I'm... it's not brought to you by one call, that's all. That's, that's terrible. How you, many is that? You're winning. Two in there. Right You're now. winning. <laughs> I know. How many jokes were we trying to come up with? Like, so please tell me, Pastor Hockman, how many divine calls can you have at one time? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Only one divine call. One by okay. <laughs> good answer. Uh, we'll figure that out. Yeah, we will. It was fun. And um, actually, the downtown lunches is an adventure, especially because they have this little free throw contest for the Bucks to give away preseason tickets. We'll get to a Bible book, I guess, eventually. But I did want to sort of do a tease for the Ezekiel book that we're looking today. Uh, we're going to look at that, talk about that. And the D's is like, you know, Ezekiel has this grand vision 
in the beginning. And I was going to connect that grand vision to the grand vision I saw at the downtown appreciation lunch. It was yesterday. something to behold. Yes. For sure. I, also, was, I also saw that vision. Yes. It was in my, my sixth year at Grace in the 37th year of Pastor Hebner at the noonday time of the noonday sun. And when the radiance of light bounded off Pastor Strong's head in my direction, <laughs> and these swishes, one after another, went through the net as he was winning the free throw competition to win the preseason tickets. And I don't know, all of nature was in harmony, and the rim was a full circle with eyes on all sides of the rim <laughs> with an intersecting wheel. And nevertheless, he swished the perfectly circled basketball sphered thing. I'm, I'm tanking it now. You're on a roll. I want to see how long this can go. And there was, you know, as the, you know, as the heat radiated <laughs> off of his head, there was a rainbow. I'm trying to get the rainbow in there from the vision. How am I doing? I've seen it in a whole different light than I saw, yeah. but that's great. <laughs> that's not what you saw? <laughs> I think I think when you run out of Ezekiel illusions, you should just hit the button on your keychain. <laughs> That's all. That'll be a great way to switch topics. <laughs> Just fill in the blank. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. I, I tried to Ezekielize my our, our experience, but congrats on getting some Bucks tickets. Thank you. I'm representing. Um, I'm super excited. I uh, we. Just to, to share the whole story real quickly. Mm-hmm. So we went down on Monday and yeah. I made seven free throws in 30 seconds, which I thought was a really bad score, but apparently was the high score for the day <laughs> along with one other guy. It, and was, we had to, it was better than my five. It was so, better than your yeah. five. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we had to have a shoot off yesterday and mm-hmm. I, I won by one. So I win Monday and uh, get some pre-season tickets. And if you're really interested and want to come down to, I believe it's Cathedral Square on Friday. Oh, on Friday, you have the finals. At uh, 1230, Mm -hmm. I will be competing with the other daily winners for Mm -hmm. regular season tickets. Um, So we'll see how many swishes will happen on that day. I don't have high hopes, but... (laughs) That's awesome. I, I enjoyed watching your totally legitimate victory on Tuesday in the shootout. It was shoot-off. totally legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not only can you go and watch Pastor Strong shoot free throws on Friday, but you might get a special little... That's all. You might get one of those, and everybody wants one of those. Pastor Bondo means... Uh, the keychain, not the actual call from David Gruber. <laughs> you might, not get you a, might get. You probably won't get a call from David Gruber, but you you may get a keychain <laughs> that says "One Call." That's all. Uh, thank you for the clarification. I would hit the button, but Pastor Strong has oh, my right. keychain right now. It's right there for you to reach and grab. And I would have had to knock over the microphone <laughs> to get it. So time to rein this back in. We're going to bring this closer to Ezekiel and rain, the Bible. Like joy, and the the next like stepping stone to talking about the book of Ezekiel is going to be a plug for Grace Bible Study Days, which is coming up. And um, we're all doing a different track of like a course. So Grace Bible Study Days is coming in August 13th to the 15th. If you're listening, come and join in on the fun. It's uh, Tuesday through Thursday evenings, like at 6 o'clock for a, for a meal. And we um, have a devotion. We split off into groups and take your different like track Um or course with the pastor, the kids have stuff that they get to do, and we wrap up with songs and ice cream at about 8 o'clock, 8.15, and uh, call it a night and do it a couple nights that week, and, and it's a blast. So what are you guys um, teaching that, or, or do we say this in advance, or do we just say I'm te- we're teaching stuff? I thought it was supposed to be a secret. Yeah. Was it not supposed to be a secret? I don't know. I just brought it up. I know. It's kind of out of the bag. Well, for this our... could maybe be like the the little... 
you know, gift to those who actually listen to the podcast. Ooh. They can know. Oh yeah. Um, who's teaching what? Because typically we don't advertise if it. If you but are this one, could be... a subscriber. And listening, and two, You've made still it. listening to this one right. after <laughs> hearing. After hearing, <laughs> that's all. I think mm-hmm. it's only fair. I think we could give a little, a little uh, gift, right, to that select few. <laughs> well, you you started off then, sure, Brother I'm going to be teaching three lessons on the book of Philippians. Yeah, uh, we're going to look at joy in Jesus and how, um, just like the Apostle Paul, even in dire circumstances, even in in situations that look on the outward uh, appearance or to the outward observer to be um, times for for mourning uh, because we have Jesus we can we can rejoice in those times and rejoice in all times uh, because this world's not what it's about but rather the uh, inheritance in heaven that's already been purchased and won for us amen nice exciting what about you I'll be, strong. I'll be teaching three three nights on Luke 15, mm-hmm. uh, which is sometimes known as the lost chapter oh, yeah. of the Bible. And it's, it has three parables in it that have to deal with finding things that are lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and um, lost sons. And and just looking at how um, the title of it is Lost and Found and, and taking a look at how we want to seek out those who are spiritually lost and, and how God can use us to accomplish that too um, from those from our own church and our own family of faith that sometimes stray to the world around us who are lost and need to know Jesus to even our own hearts and lives, our own lives where we find ourselves lost in our relationship with, with the Lord and, and just how he draws us back in, uses people around us to draw us back to, to our Savior. Um, and, and I guess as you were talking about yours, Brian, we're going to talk about rejoicing a little bit too. Just how heaven rejoices when when we're found in Christ Jesus. So it'll be a kind of a fun, fun exploration of how God can use us to, to find those for Jesus. Sweet, that's awesome. It's going to be a good week. What are you teaching? Um, I'm teaching uh, a family leadership, kind of learning things from Abraham and Sarah, as they are like you know patriarch matriarch of a new nation, and how what kind of lessons did they learn, and what does it mean to be. Um, you know, leading leading parents of the promise. And so there's all these different accounts, right, in those middle chapters or early middle chapters of Genesis. And uh, we'll be able to look at some of those stories in our three nights and make applications, whether you're um, single, married, or whatever. It really doesn't matter. There's always great applications we can make together for um, our faith life. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that too. So if you enjoyed the recent Try Not to Laugh sermon that was presented by Pastor Bondo on Abraham oh, yeah. and Sarah. Try Not to Laugh, Genesis 18. You can come back for more Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like early research for Grace Bible Study Days. There you go. Banked it. I banked it. Double dipped, huh? <laughs> that's good. You're so wise. Whatever. <laughs> hey, so um, that's a great plug. So come to Grace Bible Study Days, sign up, and, and see if you can come all three nights. Join us for a meal and some fellowship. It's a blast. Um, we want to dive in then to our book of Ezekiel for this week. One of the things that's um, been fun in the flow is we just wrapped up like First and Second Peter and talked about being strangers in the world, and it's not easy, um, you know, to live as believers in this world. And Ezekiel is one of these um, in the middle of the exile type, you know, crunch and 
speaks to God's people that warns them also how hard it is with our own sinfulness and the idolatry around us, you know, to live in in a fallen world, and that that includes Jerusalem. So we have these books that kind of address, you know, uh, like a people in exile. And um, John's Gospel, something that's coming next week, you know, we can podcast about that again um, next week, which is another uh, different circumstances, likely, but still a time of persecution. I mean, the apostle himself is on an island um, because of persecution at that time. So I think these books all, you can sort of tie and see why these are coming when they are in our Bible reading challenge. And we're only like two months away from being done. So, or two months and a half or something like that. So exciting. So how do we want to set the table for the book of Ezekiel? We should probably talk a little bit about the, um, the circumstances, which if you caught my allusion to the Pastor Strong recap of yesterday mentioning different years, we have we have pretty concrete um timestamps for for this book. Anybody but, want to Yeah, take that it from makes there? Ezekiel kind of a unique uh among the prophets that um for most of the prophets we have a, a general time frame or we maybe know who's king, but then have to take some guesses as far as where it is. But um, there's a lot of landmarks in the book of Ezekiel where you can tell even the date mm-hmm. um, that certain events are taking place. Um, so that uh, makes it unique and, and somewhat interesting to be able to pinpoint the specifics of, of the historical context of the book. Yeah. So as the, the Babylonians are coming in as this major power that God is using as a tool of discipline for his own people, and, you know, Two key, key dates are like 597 and 586. There's a there's a there's a deportation of of sorts. Well, 605 is another one, right? But 597 is probably the more um, one that has a reference to this um, king that is deported, Jehoiakim, and Ezekiel goes along with him, and so there we even have the setting. You know, we're by the river. You know, we're by the river and and in captivity, but there's still a Jerusalem standing because uh, that falls in 586. We're 11 years prior that that Ezekiel leaves Jerusalem, but we're given what the timestamp at the front of the book is five years in, right? Something like that. Five years into the five years in captivity of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so you get five years in, and then a little bit later, I forget which chapter. It's not twenty-four, um, is it? You'll have to ask the question. We have first. a couple of timestamps, but it's a there's a year. There's a a year later, um, you know. So it's like five ninety-one. Um, where we have these little markers along the way to say, and in this, and a year later, and then seven years later, and nine years later. So we definitely have some really um, point blank timestamps as we're walking through this 597 or 592 to 586 period, you know, the, the fall of Jerusalem. So I think one of them even says, hey, mark this day down in chapter 24. This is the day that um, Jerusalem is is being under siege. Put this date on your calendar. It's happening today. And that's so it is really unique that way. Yeah. So Ezekiel is already in captivity and he's uh, the priest who's ministering to the exiles, um, but then also reporting what's happening uh, back in, in Jerusalem and in Israel. Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so so the captives th- those that went in the first wave they've got this hope of maybe we can come back maybe we can be restored um and Ezekiel has the the sad responsibility of of preaching to them that no this isn't uh those are false hopes um the the judgment of the lord is still coming um and then uh can you imagine him him saying now nah, today that the temple is burning mm-hmm. um this place where they could meet with god this place that they staked their identity in um being able to come even though they hadn't uh taken advantage of it and and many of their sins are for not using the temple for what it was um and now they're experiencing the consequences of that they still pin their hopes and their dreams on this building and now the building falls and Ezekiel has to tell them um no the whole the country's gone uh there's more captives coming um you're 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 not going back mhm not now anyways. And isn't it interesting how it just strikes me as how the Lord wouldn't abandon his people, even though they, you know, and this is the, the thing we've been hearing about as you read through Isaiah and Jeremiah and just how much the, the people of Israel have abandoned God. And that's why all this is happening. And yet God doesn't abandon his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he shows them in a special way where Ezekiel is actually there. He's one of the exiles and he's still sharing with them the message that, yeah, Jerusalem has fallen and your hearts are broken. But the whole, really the whole message of, of Ezekiel is this idea that, that God is still here and will restore you and, and his glory will shine again. And um, I just, I think that's really striking that, you know, God would give uh, the people of Israel Ezekiel in that, that way. Mm-hmm. And, and this just struck me and it's, it's a curiosity question, mm-hmm. but um, do you think Ezekiel and Daniel, right? Daniel and the lion's den, famous Daniel, do you think they were friends? Did they know each other? I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, like, how, yeah. how connected are they? Are they staying in different parts? You know, I've they never were... really connected the two before until I'm as I'm kind of just mm-hmm. thinking through this. But they're both exiles. They're both in Babylon. Um, I don't know. They were in different waves, right? Daniel goes in. Daniel in was a, pretty early on. An earlier wave of exiles. Um, but do we know spe- specifics of of what region? They go to when it says they go to Babylon. We're talking. It's a big, big con- place. No, it's probably a city, a city of city, right? you know, village of twenty, probably. Right? <laughs> I think so that's <laughs> this great empire, yes. like Nebuchadnezzar and his hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and we have one little village. We need. What do <laughs> I need for my kingdom? I need some people. Let's go to Israel and get some people for my city kingdom. No, it's just I wonder if they yeah. knew each other. That's yeah. just kind of a fun thing to think about. You know, mm-hmm. did does, did Ezekiel influence Daniel maybe and encourage him? Um, through some of his challenges, or did Ezekiel was he? Um, I mean, we don't. I don't think really get a sense that he was much in the courtroom of, or not courtroom, but the um, mm-hmm. the throne room of of Nebuchadnezzar, and like Daniel was. Yeah, but just uh, praying you know, in that contem- upper room, contemporaries, you know. and and did they mm-hmm. know each other and have have lunch together once in a while? I don't know. It's just kind of yeah, Daniel's definitely about. an inner city guy. I think right. you know he's in that upper. He's he's whatever. But I. I don't know where the river, you know, if that's on the outskirts or if it cuts right through the heart of the capital. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, that was a big digression. I didn't mean, mean to take us off topic. Yeah, it's certainly possible. It's clear that God used them for different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, God used Daniel to rise in the ranks and befriend the king and, and have a voice um, for the people there in leadership. God uses Ezekiel as the priest to minister to the people, to be the proclaimer of law and gospel um, among the uh, among the people more than among the leaders, but um, they both seem to be uh, prominent 
if Daniel was the was the face of the um, Jewish people or the Judean people uh, in government, it certainly isn't beyond the realm of possibility that um, Ezekiel, as one of the leaders of the people, maybe even had times to interact and mm-hmm. um, offer encouragements yeah. or here's here's what the people are thinking, saying one thing. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to answer with a maybe. Maybe. I'll yeah. go with maybe. Good final answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So how do we then address, We, we maybe we say there's two different audiences a little bit with, with these prophets of, of the Lord. Um, but for Ezekiel, how does he go about, how does this book present and uh, and show us God's message through Ezekiel to the people. What are what are your initial thoughts or comments on that? I mean, maybe we should walk through the book just a little bit and talk about some of the things that are said. It's long. This is a this is no small undertaking. But yeah, and I think though you could divide it up into maybe a couple simple sections. Mm-hmm. You could you could split it up into and, and similar in some of the other books like Isaiah and Jeremiah where you have um, obviously God calling out His judgment on the people of Israel and spends a lot of time on that. Um, so that'll sound familiar if you've been keeping up with with those readings. And then you have also the the judgment on the other nations, the surrounding nations, which we we've heard before um, again. But then the the last section is just, I think this this promise that God's going to restore. Um, the people from their exile back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, and his glory will shine again. And and not just was a beautiful picture for the people that your time in, in Babylon will be over, but I, I think a lot of just precursors for eternal life and hope for us that mm-hmm. this world is not it either and gives us a little glimpse of the new eternal Jerusalem in heaven too. But mm-hmm. that's maybe a simplified way of, of saying it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good outline for the book. Um, maybe that entire outline is typified in perhaps one of the most famous sections of the book, the dry bones from chapter 37, where there's the, this lifeless being, this lifeless nation doesn't have a temple, doesn't have a nation, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't have a homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just here receiving the, the just rewards for, for their sins and their unbelief and for their abandoning God. Um, but yet God says, even from spiritually dead um, people like that, I can still raise up life. I can still uh, keep my promises that I've been making for generations. Um, so there in the in the dry bones that come to life, um, you can kind of see the connection for, for the people. And then the God's going to use this judgment. God's going to use um, his punishment on the people even. To, to bring them to an understanding, to an appreciation of of the grace that he's planning to show them, of the the mercy that he has, not because they've deserved it, mm-hmm. but because our God is a gracious God. That's good. I like it. And, you know, to start to start the book, you have this. Um, I guess you call it as a genre, like this apocalyptic th- scene. I mean, and in terms of like how many times do we have that, we do have it in Daniel, and um, it's certainly picked up on in Revelation, which probably uses, definitely uses Ezekiel more than any other New Testament book. Um, and you've got this grand vision uh, with a fire and the bright light and the lightning and the sounds and the windstorm and and then the four living creatures and the you know and the son of man you have all of these things um, depicted in front of your eyes that 
that bring you to see what you you see um you, you can't necessarily it's like a parable right it's a symbol it's not it's not necessarily um meant that you would interpret all the little details of the wheels that have eyes like the rim that pastor strong was shooting at um and intersecting you know and they didn't change directions but you have the sense of a omniscient god an omnipotent god an omnipresent god who goes everywhere and is over everything the grandness of god and and what happens after that is the peoples are not listening. You know, I'm going to send you to a rebellious people who aren't listening to me. And God sort of establishes, you know, himself in that apocalyptic literature as the authority, as as the judge, as the one who's over all of this in every way. And then you, now you go through this saying, thinking, I've got to deal with him. And how does he want to, how is he trying to deal with me? And not not just um i think you hit on it really well before pastor hockman when you talked about their hope was in a building and you've got this temple and as long as that temple stood we still have a chance and it was you know their identity was caught up in a building i think that's almost word for word and that is a, that was a huge thing and god is going to move them past just like jesus would um off of a, a building to a repentant faith and trust, you know, repentance and faith in himself that is bigger than bricks, you know. Um, and so to start with this incredible vision and say, there's a there's a God I'm I need to deal with. There's a Lord of the universe for me to deal with. And not just, you know, going through some like ritual motions on the on a hill on a hill in Jerusalem. Um I, I like how that starts, and, it, and then it fires and fuels this God who's now going to thunder and speak from heaven into your heart through his prophet. So that goes in a, in a big direction. Reaction to that? or yeah. thoughts? As glorious a place as Solomon's temple was, the real glory was in the one who chose to dwell there. Yeah. Right? And the God who chose to dwell in that temple can, can choose to dwell somewhere else, too. Um, and so he certainly knows... The hearts and minds of those people, he sees that their hope is in bricks and stone and mortar. Um, and so part of the lesson here is, no, the glory of, the, of God is is in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's going to choose not to dwell there any longer, but um, rather to help, the, help his people along to see um, that he's the one who holds the glory. The temple is glorious because of his presence within it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's some applications there. Where does the Lord choose to dwell today? He chooses to dwell in us. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he dwells in our hearts, um, that means that, that we are glorious. That means that we um, have the glory of God w- within us and we find our value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, A nice way to see all of this in the fact that God is physically God is saying, I'm not, this isn't just an enemy nation. I'm tearing down the walls of that building because you've made, you've made this an idol. And then he's going to do what you said. And he's going to talk about real faith, which is the real dwelling of God with us. And that's, that's tied to Christ. I think, you know, when you get to the end of, you know, Ezekiel and those chapters of the temple and the altar and, and, 
Hebrews and other New Testament books all bring in this rich flavor that through Jesus and through faith in him, we have access to God, and it's through his sacrifice that we are atoned, and it's all the all this language of Jesus as greater than the temple, Jesus as God's dwelling with us, and and what's like yeah. the first Corinthians, your body is the temple of the yeah, Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely points back to the way that things were with God dwelling within the temple and, mm-hmm. and maybe even um, how that was abused or misunderstood uh, mm-hmm. here in the historical context that we're talking about with, with Ezekiel. Yeah. There's a lot of little signs and symbols along the way, you know, and I think people will understand without needing to press every last detail you god often interprets them pretty immediately like like parables are interpreted to give a sense of like this is why ezekiel is cutting off his beard and splitting up the hair and you know i, I don't know there's 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 aspects to these visions in these early chapters and the um expressions that are immediately applied this is what i'm going to do to you as a sign. So they would solidify in their hearts and minds that this really is sin and this really is happening because of sin. The message to repent is a serious and earnest one for us and not not just other people. Are there other um, maybe sections of the first, I'd say in the first 24 chapters that you want to talk about specifically? Well, part along what you just shared, and I think one of the striking chapters in that opening section yeah. is, is chapter 18, and it's just this call to repentance. Mm-hmm. And we, we hear this all all over the place. The um, did you? I'm sorry, did you say call to repentance? I think How I many did. calls to repentance do you think? The, one call, yeah. that's all. <laughs> you know, one call should be all it takes. Should be, but too but often. it's it's amazing that it's not just one call, and uh, and it's time and time again, and and that's the amazing thing is God is constantly reaching out to His people, and that's what comes out out to me in, in chapter eighteen, is just this this idea that your 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 the generations past your fathers your families have caused this, but it doesn't mean you have to continue in this, um, and and it's just this desperate plea of our our God to to change your ways, to repent. And you hear this phrase repeated a, a few times in chapter 18 and actually throughout the rest of Ezekiel, but this idea that that um, we have a God who does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked but wants all people to live. And um, what a beautiful reminder, I think, for us in our daily struggle with the sinful nature in the world around us that we fall and God still calls out to us with that same gracious me- message. You have a Savior who paid for your sin. Repent. Yeah. Turn away from that sin. Leave it behind. You, you, I why? don't want you to die. Yeah. Why will you die? You know, yeah. and it's just like, why? Why? this? And he actually even lays it on the people. It's mm-hmm. not my fault if you're going to die. Mm-hmm. It's because you're turning away from me. Mm-hmm. Come back to me. All the chapters leading up to this are building this argument. He's, he talks about false prophets. He talk, talks about idolaters and, and wicked people. The elders, you know, say that these elders are going to ask for my word? No, go talk to these elders about the idols they have in their hearts. And he, he moves through, again, sectors of society again, um, you know, sort of like the, the, the false prophets, the priests, you know, and, and the elders among the people. And then you get that, um, I mean, chapter 16 almost makes, me, makes you want to just weep. I mean, the way God personalizes this darling daughter of his and this this babe that baby that nobody wanted. I mean, you can't read that without 
being caught up by God's amazing grace to make this nation what it is, and then it goes and prostitutes itself, right? And then, and the way that that's envisioned by the the two eagles, and this vine is putting its trust in these eagles and not in the Lord. And you get to chapter eighteen, and it all comes and says, "This is not just your parents' sin; it's yours, and it's individual judgment that we're talking about." And I don't want it for you, so. I, I like what you said because you're hitting you're hitting a key chapter and it's kind of been in the works going through different people in society to to build up this individual accountability to God and need to repent. Yeah, that that middle section then when they go into uh, the prophecies against the other nations, I think it's important to remember the um, one of the big sins that the people were committing at the time of uh, the captivities was that they were not allying themselves to God. They weren't putting their trust in, in the creator, God almighty. They were putting their trust in the, the, the military force and might of the nations around them. Mm -hmm. And there's this, there's this geopolitical game that, that the leaders of of Israel and Judah decided to play. Who are we going to ally with and who are we going to try to pit? Uh, when this big nation is coming, well, we better join forces with with the other nation, and um, w- which treaty is going to be most convenient for us to sign, and which country is it going to be most convenient? Are we going to be strongest with, or have the best chance of of making it um, if we team up with? Uh, and then you get God that comes and and announces His judgment against these nations, um, because every military power um, on the list lacks one thing. And that's allegiance and trust in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the one thing that God's people were lacking as well. It's so, the one thing needful. It is. It's the... One that's all. That's it. I feel that's like that was stretching it a little bit. <laughs> <Was> it? Sorry. <laughs> that one doesn't count towards the count. <laughs> yeah, please, oh, please, act, please nix that from the record. Thank <laughs> oh, you. come on. But here, you want to put your trust in Babylon? Well... Um, Babylon doesn't trust in the Lord. You want to put your trust in Egypt? Yeah. Um, they, they may be strong today, but tomorrow uh, they may get wiped off the map. Mm-hmm. Um, put your trust in the Lord. He's the one who has the, has the real might. Put your trust in his promises um, that even though life is rough and even though it, it looks like there's an army coming and, and there might be some consequences for you, God's got a plan in all this. Don't turn your back on him. All these other nations are going to at some point and in some day lose their power. Uh, but God, God reigns forever um, all, as our almighty King. Yeah. And I like how, Oh, were you going to say something? I, I was, I, I point, I, I, I raised my hand, but nobody can see that. Oh, sorry. No, um, do we need a talking stick? <laughs> if we're going to have three, I feel <laughs> like we maybe need pass the baton. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just, I wanted to just kind of tie in with what you said, Pastor Ackman with um, this idea of, of trusting in the Lord, even in the challenging times. I mean, chapter 24 brings up something really striking. And this is where God says to Ezekiel, your wife is going to die. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you to mourn. And, and be sad about it and anything else. And I'm going to use this situation as a sign of the people of Israel. Ezekiel is the sign. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm thinking, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You know, Ezekiel, it sounds like he went and, and did it, but how hard that must have been. You know, what does the Lord even say? Do um, I'm going to take away the delight of your eyes from you. And I don't want you to lament and be sorrowful and whatever else. And, and the purpose is because Jerusalem is about to go down. 
and 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 the, the God's saying to the people of Israel, I'm taking away the delight of your eyes, what you're putting so much hope and trust in, and I don't want you to to lament and mourn because I want you to just trust me. And and how often don't we go through life too, and and we get upset, you know? God takes someone that we weren't ready to to die and to go away from us, and we question God and we get upset about Him, and we do we lament and we mourn and, and we have pity on ourselves. Um, God doesn't really explain a whole lot more here why He took. Ezekiel's wife other than to be a sign and for him to be a witness to the people he was ministering to I, you know it, it helps us at least maybe start to to say lord let me trust whatever plan is going on here even when life isn't the way i want it to be give me a heart that trusts and, and not to mourn and turn away from you um, i may not always understand but help me to be a witness that trusts in the hope of salvation and life that is in you yeah, it's all summarized by the most repetitious phrase of this entire book. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. And if we, you know, it's like one sentence that says, when am I going to get it? When am I, when am I going to come? Oh, well, I'm always going to struggle with this. But I like what you're saying is how does God lead us to just trust him in all that he is and all that he has said and revealed to us? And uh, he's given us quite the equipment to put to death the sinful nature and to live in his promises and just know, um, like, the, like the be still and know that I am God. I mean, here's this one phrase that God keeps coming back to. You still don't even recognize that I am the Lord and what that means for you. And I'm going to say it over and over and over again through Ezekiel. You think that God should make keychain? <laughs> so this keychain. Then you will know that I am yeah. the Lord. So instead of one call, button. that's all. You've Could got be. your. <laughs> then you will know that I am the Lord. Yeah. And then you'll know that I am we the Lord. We should make those. We could put the grace logo on it. Mm-hmm. Whatever that's happens. Good. That's good. That's then like, you will that's, know that I am the Lord. That's And just put Ezekiel on there. We'd have to say that he is the Lord, though. Otherwise, mm-hmm. might be presumptuous for the one mm-hmm. who's holding the keychain. I'm not the Lord. <laughs> the Lord is the Lord. Yeah. I, you know, to bring kind of what you two just talked about in chapter 24, and you're talking about the prophecies against the nations um, and the nations that didn't know him and how vital that was. I was struck, you know, as people get into these middle chapters against Tyre and against Egypt, this was a long, 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 cha- long chapters on against these peoples. And that it's fascinating because it's like God demonstrates how he is so in the know, like he's lived on every street and visited every shop of Tyre and saying, and you sell this over here and you're merchanting <laughs> this over there. And and it's like, how do you, you just like walking through every aspect of their prosperity and health and then and then totally take the legs out from underneath them and and from their king you know and then you go through the same thing with Egypt and all of its splendor and and Pharaoh and the judgment you're going to bring on them and I think it's it's amazing that the if I if I were listening to Ezekiel's message I would recognize that this is this is the God all people are accountable to him on the highest level there's just no secrets with this guy he knows every trade contract we have on our books as if he was the bookkeeper himself and um, that's a that's a an opportunity for us to reflect with a mirror that says there's nothing hidden between me and God um, there's just so many ways God is helping his people look at their own sin and and as he looks at others to realize this this is beyond uh, there's no secrets yeah there's no secrets left. yeah God clearly puts his omniscience on display um, as he talks about ju- just what he knows about these nations and just like every attribute of God um, that's terrifying 
to think God knows my thoughts. He knows everything that makes right. me tick. He knows my every intention. He knows my every sinful motive. Um, but God's omniscience can also be a comfort and a joy for us to know he knows how best to, to serve me and fulfill my needs. He knows how best to, to bless me. He knows how best to, to guide me and shepherd me too. Um, so yeah, his omniscience causes us to repent of those times that we've tried to hide things from God or those times that we think that we can get away with it. Um, but we can also rejoice in knowing that God who knows everything, who knows the hairs on my head, um, he also um, knows how to uh, work things from, for the benefit of those who love him. Beautiful. And isn't that kind of where we end up? Because we get into the upper 30s chapters of Ezekiel, and you have this way that God is promising a restoration, and I am going to do this for my namesake, before you get to the vision of the you know 40 to 48 in the temple that closes it out. So I, it's those are rich chapters. You mentioned the Valley of Dry Bones, for example. How do you, how do you then, for anyone who is caught up in our sin is great, and it's worse than any any sin of any other people, even though we had the temple in Jerusalem, anybody who is struck um, down by all of this and leveled, God is working on despair that they would not despair and opening the doors of his promises fulfilled in Christ and um, bringing forth like life out of these dry bones, for example, and calling them back to be his people. So the the temple language at the end, or were you gonna say something there? And I think Brother it's Strong? just it's a it's another cool picture of just our life. You know, life is not always easy. There are consequences, earthly consequences, especially to our sins that we have to deal with, and God allows in our lives. Like the people of Israel are dealing with some pretty solid and heavy um, earthly consequences. They're they're exiled. They're out of their land. The the city has fallen. The temple is gone. Um, but God promises that there's an end in sight and a better end in the restoration. And, and for us that wrestle through our own challenges, whether they're self-inflicted sins or the, the effects of a wicked world and, and others around us, God promises that there there's a better home for you mm-hmm. and, and a restored home, and that's eternal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What makes the temple glorious is the fact that God lives there. Yeah. Um, and so the the... Jerusalem connection to the heavenly Jerusalem that God will do better than rebuild the, the city that they once called home. God will give them a perfect Jerusalem um, and and the Lord will dwell there and that makes heaven a, a glorious place, even more glorious than Solomon's temple, even more glorious than um, the city of David on the, the mountain in Jerusalem is the, the heavenly Jerusalem, the Mount Zion that God has promised for us. I love the the way that the book ends. It's it, incredible. The Lord is there. That's the name of the city. The Lord is there. Right. Because that's what makes the city uh, phenomenal. That's what makes the city um, a source of hope for us because we're going to live in that city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to live in that city with the Lord and we're going to live there forever. Mm, amen. And you think of the parallel with Revelation again and just how, how do we, how does the book of Revelation finish? That's another podcast for another day, I suppose. But amen. Yeah, you do have the, the new Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. You have a new Jerusalem and you have the Lord as its light. Right. And what makes it, what makes it awesome? What makes it great is the Lord is there. And so this is a, this is a wonderfully balanced book that, that does everything it 
God always wants to do on our hearts and lives. I think we value it for that reason and, and can treasure it. People really enjoy working their way through it. Anything else for the good and welfare you want to highlight or comment on in the in the book? With this new setup, uh, we don't have the, the running timer of how long we've been talking. We might have been talking for two hours. Yeah. It's all good stuff. We'd not, we wouldn't even know. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Which really, I give credit if you are still listening now, because we really don't know how long we've been chatting for. It's, it's been a long time, and you've had to put up with a lot of silliness. It's good. But it's good. It's worth it. It's a bond that is created. And um, not only is it good, and it's in the Bible, but this is most, most certainly, certainly true. true. And also, one call, that's all. You would. You would. <laughs> Thanks for that. Dad, start. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to keep him wrong, they are weak and he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes. Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so.